Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm your host, Vago Muradian. Last week, Dr. Laura Taylor-Calais, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Industrial-Based Policy, disclosed the Pentagon's first ever defense industrial strategy. Uh, the strategy has four elements, supply chain resilience, workforce readiness, acquisition flexibility to drive innovation, among other things, uh, and the role of the industrial base as a tool of economic as well as national security deterrence. Uh, there are a little more than two dozen actions to get us there. Join us joining us today to discuss the strategy are two men who led the Pentagon's industrial base office, Dr. Jerry McGinn, the director of the Baroni Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University, and Steve Grunman of the Atlantic Council and the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University. Gentlemen, welcome back to the program. It's an honor and pleasure having you both on again. Likewise, Vago. It's great to be with you and Steve. Thank you for having me, Vago. Nice to hear your voice, Jerry. Uh, indeed, it's a it's a pleasure having you guys both uh, back on. And a quick word from our sponsors: the Defense and Aerospace Report and its family of publications is brought to you by HII General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, General Electric, Bell, Leonardo DRS, and American Rheinmetall. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks very much again for joining us. You guys joined us a couple of uh, weeks ago toward the latter part of last year, uh, where we uh, discussed what we expected from the industrial strategy at the time. Uh, we expected it to be rolled out at the Reagan Forum. That was delayed a little bit, we understand, by the White House. Uh, and um, uh, Dr. Taylor Calais uh, and Dr. Cynthia Cook rolled it out uh, at uh, the Center for Strategic and International uh, Studies. Um Jerry, why don't you start us off, right? I mean, this has been in the works since Dr. Taylor Calais uh, hit the chair nine months ago. Her and her team have been working on it. It's comprehensive. It's interagency. Uh, it's very thoughtful. It takes all elements of the equation uh, into consideration. It looks like there's a classified annex uh, that they're working on in order to implement it. What, what, were, what are your reactions uh, to the document as you see it? And how does it move us toward where we have to go? Because uh, Laura is spot on the mark, right? Industrial strategy isn't new to us. We've been doing this since the Washington administration. Yeah, no, uh, thanks, Vago. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a really, um, it's a very well done report uh, and strategy. And my take is um, there's a lot to like about it. I mean, I think it's a very strong call to action. Um, and I think uh, it's very thoughtful in the sense that it recognizes that, you know, it didn't take it. This didn't happen overnight. And, you know, it goes over how kind of we got the situation where we are. And it recognizes the effort, effort efforts of the past several administrations. This is a problem that's been bipartisan and really approach in addressing it. And so it's good to see that. Um, and um, and then also like the the recognition of the importance of allies and partners that is weaved throughout the document um, that shows this is not a kind of just build it all here approach, but a kind of a, uh, allies and partners and the U.S. And um, but I think the key will be how it's implemented, which we'll get into shortly. Steve. I think the document is a uh, really good complement, L-E-M-E-N-T, to um, the national defense strategy, um, like the national defense strategy, um, it's not a, um, a prescription of programs and budgets per se. Instead, its purpose is to um, frame the problem um, and express the priorities by which the department is going to address the problem. And I think I think that to that extent, that is what it it has done. Um, obviously, like the national defense strategy. Uh, it, it, you know, it creates a watch this space 
set of expectations about um, exactly how in programs and budgets and, and perhaps regulations or changes to acquisition practices, the ambitions uh, of the priorities that are expressed in it get exercised, get played out. Um, but um, that would have been uh, too much, frankly, to hope for in a document that they've only been working on, like you say, for nine months, and which to to infiltrate into programs and budgets is really an exercise that would take at, at a minimum, you know, you would have had to start um, two years ago. Uh, by the time these uh, ambitions were expressed in this document, uh, most of the palms were closed, and it was going to be very hard, except at the margins. I would expect to see some expression of this strategy in the 25 budget request notwithstanding, uh, but not a thoroughgoing one, and not one which she is uh, in a position now, pre-decisional as the 25 budget request is, uh, is able to talk about in detail. Um, is this job uh, both of you guys have uh, some Hill experience, uh, you know, and, and the scars that come <laughs> come with that. Uh, I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, is Does it make much sense to be doing this uh, in uh, what is going to be a contentious uh, election year, even though uh, Dr. Taylor Calais has mentioned that, look, there was a lot of bipartisan uh, support for this and that, you know, she and her team have been briefing uh, the Hill uh, on this and the feedback that I've gotten from some staffers has been positive. But again, they're asking a little bit of the same question. Um, and, and ideally, this gets reflected in the 25 budget submission, to your point, uh, Steve. I mean, how much of this are they going to be able to implement, Jerry, ultimately? Yeah, no, I think uh, it's a fair question. I, you know, it is a very difficult environment. But, you know, as I kind of mentioned uh, earlier, and you and Laura said as well, and you did, uh, is that this is one of the few areas where we can make some bipartisan progress. I mean, they got the CHIPS Act done last year. I mean, there's a broad recognition they were upside down with respect to China um, in a number of capability areas, uh, and we need to get after it in terms of industrial capability. So, so I think, um, you know, there's, you know, the timing is not great in terms of for the budget cycle, like you mentioned, um, for the FY25, because, you know, a lot of this is like, okay, show me how you're going to invest with this. But, but you know, I think um, this is, and the report says this, you know, this is a three to five year, pro, you know, kind of window. Uh, and they were kind of, this is just a kind of an opening salvo. So you know, I think it, you know, setting an azimuth is, is good. Um, but, you know, it's going to be key on how we kind of make progress, both in resources, but I think there's a lot that can be done without kind of additional money, which we can talk about later. Uh, Steve? I, I think the document, and this may be by design, it may be just by happenstance, um, does not have a lot to dislike in it. Um, that's a reflection of the fact that um, unlike a more practical rather than rhetorical strategy, it doesn't express any very hard trade-offs. Um, it's got themes and priorities, but not a sharp sense of trade-offs or, for example, how they're really going to get leverage across these three dimensions, which they call out cost, speed, and scale. Consequently, um, it's going it's less controversial than it otherwise would be. Jerry has has called out, and I uh, share his um, uh, pleasure in in seeing how I would call internationalist um, the document is this industrial strategy. I think um, the internationalism, the degree to which allies and partners are part of the strategy, an integral part of the strategy, is is one of the things um, that really stands out about the document. 
Um, that is also one of the places that that might have been controversial. Uh, but I think uh, our experience um, outfitting the Ukrainian army um, and air defenses, um, as well as uh, initiatives which have bipartisan support like AUKUS, have kind of inoculated that theme from the degree of rancor that it might customarily over the, over the decades um, have engendered. Um, you know, your your point, um, Steve, harkens to something David Berteau of the Professional Services Council asked, right? I mean, how are you going to do this without extra resources uh, at the end of the day? Because it does, it will require some trade-offs, although I think her point, there are a lot of smart decisions we can make in the confines of how we're doing things uh, as it is. Although I'm going to get to that in a minute, because however much we say we want to do things smartly, Mm, we consistently find ways not to do that, including funding the budget, right? Frank Kendall, the Air Force Secretary, is spot on the mark. He doesn't have an innovation problem. He has a money problem where people are just basically not doing their jobs on a consistent enough basis to make those resources available for the department to drive change. How do you do this? And Jerry, you know, your your follow-up on this, how, how do you do this without spending more money? And what is it we should be looking for in the 25 budget request? in order to help move a needle? Because the concern, again, it extends to replicator, great idea, how much money will be put against it? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, resources are key. Uh, there's no way to get around it, right? But I, I wrote a piece, suppose a piece uh, last week about this uh, in, in Breaking the Fence, you know, uh, on, I think it's a lot of this is we can do internally to the department, it's sort of a change in mindset and how, and they talk about one of the three, four themes is flexible acquisition. There's a lot the department can do um, with how it approaches kind of uh, solicitations, contracts, um, you know, um, and uh, design of programs um, that, you know, can be baked in and um, that, you know, are not necessarily more expensive, but just different approaches. And I, and I argue that we needed to need to change our mindset and have more of a kind of an MRAP mindset to how we kind of go after these problems simplify our de design so we can produce faster, um, you know, a contract for ability to surge, um, you know, develop solicitations where you have multiple awardees, uh, in which in the long run can be less expensive. So it's it's a lot of this we can do with, with changing how we procure and going back, to, you know, getting away from some of the efforts in the 90s and 2000s where we're thinking about, you know, you know, cost and efficiency and focusing more on how do you build and develop capacity. Steve? Of course, that uh, I agree with Dave Berteau. Um, I don't doubt that there will be monies, on the other hand, uh, both initially in the FY25 budget request, but also um, conceivably, and this would be one of the particular utilities of the strategy to give motivation to incentive, if, if you will, um, to the authorizers and appropriators to park some more money um, in their marks of the budget request behind um, behind these initiatives. But then ultimately, uh, and if the administration gets the privilege of uh, a second term um, in the 26 budget request, I, I think, right, just in the in the program and budget cycle, um, the bigger impact on 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 how the Pentagon is going to spend money on these priorities, is likely to occur in the budget after next, um, just, just because of the time it would take to infiltrate um, these sorts of funds into it. The particular pathway for those investments that I'm encouraged by, however, is, is no less than the old-fashioned Defense Production Act Title III. 
um, I think it was in her um, appearance at the Center for Strategic and International Studies that Assistant Secretary Taylor Clay referenced the tenfold, if I heard it correctly, the tenfold increase up to almost a billion dollars a year of uh, Title III expenditures that um, that has occurred over a relatively short number of years. Um, that is an extremely powerful tool. It has all the flexibility that, uh, frankly, that everything from a venture capitalist to a uh, a, um, uh, a an enterprising program executive officer would want and needs. And so, uh, I don't I don't think they need a whole lot of new law to implement some of these ambitions that are in this report, but they will need appropriated dollars um, behind something like um, D, uh, DPA Title III. Um, but let me ask um, a somewhat more fundamental question about this, right? I mean, it's it's great to have a strategy and I applaud it, Steve uh, and Jerry. I mean, the three of us and Bill Greenwalt and so many other people have been talking about the important, you know, Jeff Bialis, anybody who's ever held this job, John Goodman, Josh Gottbaum. I mean, you know, pick pick anybody who's been involved in this. Uh, Andre uh, would would tell you uh, all uh, the same things, right? That you've got a plan, you've got to have an objective, right? Define the problem, as Annie Marshall would say. Build a plan and then execute the plan. But we do not have an ability to execute to any plan. Um, the Navy knows that getting you know, on uh, four-year centers on carriers is the right thing to do. And the Navy's already, uh, t you know, out there delivering the message that it may not, it may slip the uh, carrier schedule. Okay, the, you know, HII will build you the carrier, but it's going to cost you more money ultimately. And there's going to be uh, personnel disruptions at a time when uh, we were having personnel challenges as well. We we're talking about getting to two nuclear attack submarines. We're investing billions of dollars to try to do that. And the biggest thing I picked up at the Surface Navy Association show is there might only be one nuclear attack submarine in the budget next year. We're looking at buying more complex weapons. But even before we put some of these things on, there's a little bit of a, well, but I don't know how many we would have to buy. Well, of course, Jim Takelet has been a little bit reluctant or insert your executive's name here. Jerry, what was it we need to do on the more practical side of not just putting pie in the sky out there, but actually deliverable. This is what we have to build. And here's what we can build on a sustainable basis. Instead of wrapping ourselves around axles, maybe we can only build submarines at 1.3 a year. Yeah. No, I, and just be honest about that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, as you allude to, you know, companies are only going to respond to a specific opportunity that is funded, you know, um, and that's just the way the market is. Um, and so, you know, talking of trying to encourage them to do stuff when they're not incentivized to do stuff by a specific opportunity is, is kind of not really productive. So I, I think um, the department has got to think long and hard and say, you know, these are the areas that we really need to prioritize. Like when we did the um, 13806 report back in 2018, when that came out, it prioritized, hey, these are some of the industrial base weaknesses we're going to prioritize those where we're uh, upside down with China, where we're in a single and sole source situation. So there you knew we're going to prioritize these, right? And so similarly, you know, you got to do that um, in uh, current industrial base activities. And they've done that, the administration's done that to a degree with their, you know, their 14017, you know, they've identified their five priority areas, whatever, Cassie's unfortunate and so on. 
So, I mean, I think that's what you can do. Um, and I think you can do that in uh, on the programmatic side too. And say, you know, here's where we're gonna, we're gonna take an approach of, we're gonna dual source um, um, OMFV um, so that we have more producers. Um, um, we have two producers and we build our industrial base capacity. The trade-off for that is we're maybe doing a little bit less of X, Y, or Z. Um, so it's it's those kind of things where you you kind of make concrete signals. Those are the things that are going to incentivize industry and um, really kind of ad um, uh, address the industrial base. Steve, I agree, and most obviously that having um, visibility into future programs and dollars is is highly incentivizing to this industry. Right, they they know how to keep careful, <laughs> careful track of of what's out there, and um, but the other thing that's incentivizing, right? So, customer having money and a problem it wants to spend it on is is very incentivizing, and this this industry is good at that. But the other thing that incentivizes them, of course, is competition. And again, there's glancing, uh, maybe better than that, um, reference to the need to open up. Um, these opportunities to a wider range of their of uh, competitors um, in that in the uh, the third of the priorities uh, flexible acquisition it's entitled um, there's 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 reference to that problem um, they don't really pound the, the document does not pound the table on it again maybe in the interest of not engendering a whole lot of controversy but um, but there's something there and I do think uh, if we could begin one of the points of leverage. That are a real um, uh, the real implementation of this strategy ought to reach for, uh, and again makes reference to is is getting private capital uh, working at risk on the Department of Defense's problems. Right, there's huge leverage in being able to do that. There's been an enormous amount of progress in that regard over the last decade. It must be said, uh, but but still more uh, could could be actually transformative relative to some of these problems. And that is to say, private capital capitalizing new competitors. Uh, or for that matter, even existing competitors um, who want to get ahead of demand um, and bring the Pentagon stuff it didn't even know it needed, or at least in a form factor it didn't know it needed. You, you in your day, not to date you, uh, right, were talking about spanning the valley of death, and our friend Brett Lambert focused on spanning the valley of death. Jerry, you you did it when when you were in the job. I mean, ultimately, how many successes do we have of things that are emerging from the other side and the track record of actually finding commercial products that scratch a defense itch and actually getting it in, uh, getting, getting it in, getting it into service. I mean, time and again, e even the most brilliant ideas that everybody says, oh, this is a brilliant idea. You know, later on you find out, well, it sort of didn't get there. Boy, but that would have been good. Jerry and you know how how do we do this? Because we just let me jump in about it. If, if I may, let me jump in in front of because it gives me the opportunity to reference um, the just issued uh, yesterday final report of the Atlantic Council's Commission on Defense Innovation Adoption. One well of the done, most Steve. Well done. Parts of that document. <laughs> One of the most heartening parts of that document is uh, the back of it, which they call vignettes, which are essentially um, extant examples or at least indicators of the, the sorts of reforms and implementation of recommendations which the commission came up with. And, and my reaction to it was, if not a thousand flowers blooming, um, we've got hundreds of flowers blooming in this defense industrial ecosystem 
that um, that, that I, I I think are a rebuttal to your surmise, Vago. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things happening um, by way of drawing in new competitors, small companies, Silicon Valley venture-based companies. There's a lot a lot going on. Certainly a lot more than uh, you know. I, I, I let me put it this way. I think Ashton Carter, uh, then Deputy Secretary, when he uh, launched his great outreach. Um, to Silicon Valley, I think it would have been 2014 or 2015. I think he would be um, quite quite pleased uh, to see the degree of dynamism um, and engagement uh, between uh, the traditional defense contractors and let's call them the non-traditional sector um, and and uh, and and otherwise that's going on all around. And the, and the back half of that report from the Atlantic Council Commission on Innovation Adoption. Um, is a you know is a detailed series of testimonials to that fact, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree uh, with you by and large, Steve. I I think um, uh, the last you know better part of a decade has has really shown how we, we get we can we don't have really an innovation problem. We do have kind of a more of, of an adoption problem. Um, so there's been a really kind of we've got the prototype experimentation stuff down with lots of different kind of flowers blooming, as Steve mentioned, you know, uh, DIU, AFWorks, SoftWorks, you name it. The question is, how do these translate into overall capabilities? And that's that's where um, the rub is. And, and that's where I think we have to change how we acquire overall capabilities in the department, you know, um, so we have more open systems architectures. We have better approaches to intellectual property um, and um, and the like, and and, and uh, bringing in more commercial solutions. And you're seeing that happen. I mean, you you so like going back to the um, oper operationally manned fighting vehicle. The the, um, the folks competing for that include a non traditional and Dural is part of a team with um, I forget now what company they're with, but you know. So you've got you've got um, this starting to happen in bigger programs. Um, it's starting to scale where you've got kind of um, traditional and um, quote unquote non traditional companies doing it. So I think it's we're getting there, but I, I think we have to keep keep our pedal to the metal on that so that so that we can you know really kind of um go from just doing prototypes to transitioning technology from lots of different kinds of companies so just really quickly whether it's on so you think that there is more progress and i'm not trying to be negative about it i believe that there are examples of progress uh but it is not abundantly clear to me how we are scaling and driving this ball forward at at a at a at a pace um as yeah. well as the scale right uh steve uh you uh hosted uh a uh not for attribution uh discussion uh as you occasionally do and as you jerry do uh, as well and we heard from somebody uh who was uh, talking um uh who was from dod and basically saying just about everything we do is, is going to take three years to do it uh, because of supply chain issues. And one of the people in the audience was from a European contractor uh, who said, I, I have a part that does that and you don't have to do the bespoke hand manufactured part uh, for, for that uh, weapon. Um, you know, I, I will point out it was it was for uh, Stinger. Uh, gyros that are hand wound and RTX is bringing a whole bunch of people back from retirement homes or from retirement in order to do this. And, and one of the uh, European companies was like, look, we have a chip that does that, right? T talk to us a little bit about 
the role of allies and partners in this and what this strategy tells us, because on the one hand, the administration talks about buy American. On the other hand, it's, it's also talking about friend shoring and, and buying ally. Talk to us a little bit about the yin and the yang and the concrete leaps we have to make to actually make this stuff, make it less expensively and in, in greater volume. One of the premises of, uh, I'm going to risk it, Adam Smith's invisible hand functioning well is perfect information. Um, and it's one of those precepts when you're when you're trying to figure out what is not working about a market that I often reach to first is how how is information about what's available, um, at what price, when, um, to buyers who who might need that cannot be taken for granted. Um, so the example that, that, that you cite, um, there are there are dozens, I, I, I dare regret to say, hundreds of, of similar examples where the buyers don't know what they can get um, at what price and when and from whom and or uh, if they they do know of it, um, they are bound into a system that won't let them access it. Um, that that actually is 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 a is a threshold problem, which. The implementation of this strategy, let alone the implementation of the Atlantic Council's Innovation and Adoption Report, is going to have to get after. Simple as that may seem in an age in which we are all overwhelmed by information, um, the information deficits in the functioning of the U.S. defense market are still pretty profound. Uh, and by the way, that was a beautiful job, Steve, because I was going to ask you about that innovation report that was co-chaired uh, by um, uh, former uh, Defense Secretary Mark Esper and former Air Force Secretary uh, Debbie James. Uh, Jerry, your your take on the allies and 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 partners uh, element yeah. of this? Yeah, I know. And, and as you know, Vago, I've kind of uh, written a lot on this. We did a report last summer on what I called build allied approach to building industrial base capacity. So I was really heartened to see uh, the real strong kind of um, um, uh, inclusion of partners and allies in this report. Because one of the things I highlighted in my previous report is that the national defense strategy actually mentions allies and partners 32 times. So it was clear in that, in the NDS, that it was it's a priority, and to see that coming through the strategy is great. But though, and the, the, there are ways we can get after some of the challenges that Steve outlines that kind of getting more information. And I think there's sort of three kind of thrusts of recommendations I make in that report. One is around making kind of how we partner with allies, um, uh, industrial, making that a core function of the defense acquisition system. So if you talk to program managers and P program executive officers today, you know, it really varies a lot where kind of how they prioritize kind of their, um, you know, their their providers, whether or not they sometimes they'll stamp, um, you know, requirements document secret no foreign, which creates real challenges for a lot of companies not based in the U.S., um, but so there are a lot of things that can be done that can um, throughout the defense acquisition to to change that. Um, there's also some things on cooperation um, in terms of technology transfer, um, both um, export controls, which is a hardy perennial to change, which, you know, thankfully we saw some progress in the uh, in the AUKUS NDAA in, in, on that front. Um, but it's also a technology transfer. How do we kind of do the tech release, which is a lot of those areas are in control of the Department of Defense. And then I think a lot of it's going to be scaling kind of things that um, um, that can help this. Like the, the the strategy talks a bunch about exportability, designing for exportability and so on. 
Uh, and that's a very much kind of a key priority um, and a good, good way to um, um, get partners involved and to make a program last longer and so on. Um, and there's a program for that that was you know started a decade ago called Defense Affordability Features. Uh, however, that program has been flatlined at $10 million a year for the last decade. Um, it did get a plus up for the in the Ukraine supplemental, but you know, showing kind of if this really matters, that will become kind of a a real part of every program going forward, uh, and will be, grow in uh, scope and scale. Um, any last thoughts uh, from from both of you as we wrap the program up? The one particular disappointment that I have in the document, and and I I guess I'll end on a disappointment is there is not much in it, not much direction in it to the, the commercial defense industrial base, to, to companies in the industry. I'm not sure if I were the chief strategist or for that matter, um, running one of the business units of the companies. I'm not sure how I would change my day-to-day uh, -day routines or my year uh, my year's plans or my enterprise's strategic um uh direction on the basis of this report and i should think that would be one of the things again that's a point of leverage if we can get the whole of the industry seeing the problem differently and behaving differently the incumbent industry let's call it um that gives us a lot of leverage on these problems but i didn't read much in the report which if i were in one of those seats would change my life jerry yeah i i i agree with that uh that sentiment steve and uh i i think they again it points back to kind of what i said at the beginning this is all going to come about be about implementation so if we want this document to um have a life and not just sit on a shelf sit on a shelf um it's how the department implements it and They've already outlined they want to have a public implementation plan. They're they're gonna they're gonna share that, um, and they're gonna have classified um, independent uh, implementation effort. And um, so, but how they kind of bring this to life um, is will be how it's recognized then by industry and other outside observers. Guys, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure having you on the program, uh, and look forward to keep uh, talking about this. I mean, I think there are a lot of subordinate elements of it worth discussing. I mean, we didn't go into that much detail. I love the workforce part of it, but at the end of the day, um, let, let me just ask one last quick uh, question in 30 seconds on from, from each of you, right? I mean, we talk about workforce, but workforce depends on contracts, depends on choices that kids make, uh, right? We want to generate more engineers. They've got to make that choice in elementary school to become engineers. And despite rocket teams and a whole bunch of other things, we're, you know, it's not abundantly clear that folks are staying in it, right? If, if you could make $17 at a shipyard doing hot, cold, dirty, physical work, or you could be working in a Chick-fil-A and make the same amount of money, many people are picking Chick-fil-A at the end of the day. How do we move the manpower, uh, the, the human power, part of this equation really quickly, Steve, and then we can end it with you, uh, uh, Jerry, because I'm fascinated by this because labor is the biggest issue we have now, qualified labor. Go ahead. Yeah. If the DOD is really going to make more than a rhetorical impact on this problem, it's going to have to invest in training. Um, it's going to get way upstream of, of the problem and invest in um, how uh, people building um, their careers, or for that matter, matter maybe at mid-career, changing careers, how easily and inexpensively 
um, they are able to do that in a way that that vectors them, that deflects their uh, time and attention onto the sort of engineering and manufacturing skills that we need in the defense industry. Jerry? Yeah, I, mean, I think this is one area where I would kind of pick a bone with the report. I mean, there's a quote in there about that you have to destigmatize industrial jobs. And I just don't think that's the case. I mean, I think the department invests a lot in workforce development. And a couple of the programs that I managed when I was in are very vibrant now are these manufacturing innovation institutes. And their big component of those is workforce development. It's a big priority in the department. Uh, and I think it's, it really comes down to, you know, um, programs and opportunities. So if the if you if you want a workforce, you 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 create incentives that companies hire folks. And we have a problem in labor market across industries. It's not just a U.S. It's not just an aerospace and defense problem. It's a U.S. problem. So people are going to choose Chick Fil A over the shipyard. They're also going to choose it over some other technology areas. So I think you know. Um, it's all about, I think, about all about creating the the opportunities for companies to go after, having stability in the marketplace, you know, because if you have, and this is out of, a lot of this out of DOD control, you know, with the continuing resolutions and stuff, it just creates all kinds of turbulence that makes it really hard. Um, but uh, no, I think, you know, there are a lot of the good things happening in the workforce space. Pay more money, you will attract more people. That's exactly. just about it. Yeah, uh, guys, uh, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. And uh, as I said, always uh, happy to have you guys on the program. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Yeah, look forward to the next time. Great seeing you.